All right. That's pretty intense. Uh, That's a lot. (laughs) Almost feels like you just watched a horror movie or something like that. Some of those scenes are so intense. You see flies just crawling all over a man at one point. You see locusts just consuming a whole city in this big black horde. You see animals falling to the ground violently, spilling blood. And one thing that uh, Caleb said the other week in our youth group Bible study is he was talking about Noah, and he was like, you know, I went and I saw the Noah and the Ark Museum, and one thing that I picked up on that I'd never seen before was that it's actually like a really intense story. And he's right. I mean, the whole world gets destroyed. God brings judgment. That's a serious thing. It's an intense thing. And when we're kids, when we learn those stories, we don't learn them with all the same intensity. That's probably a good thing, right? I mean, we don't want our our children to experience that part of reality yet. You know, with the flood, it's like, yeah, there's a boat and there's animals and God brings salvation, which are all true. But there's a lot more to it. The Bible's really real. It's really gritty. It's really intense. And so this is another one of those stories that when we learned it as kids, we probably missed out on just how intense and violent at times this story is. But I think you'll see a lot of encouragement as we take a look at this passage of Scripture. Uh, It's actually a really long passage as Moses encounters Pharaoh and he goes back and forth and you see a lot of different interactions that they have. And to read it all would probably take like 15 or 20 minutes. And so today we're just going to take a bird's eye view of that. I'm not going to read through the whole passage. We're going to take a bird's eye view and we're just going to look at the themes, common themes. What's God's reasoning here? What's Pharaoh's reasoning here? Okay, what kind of back and forth interactions do they have and what do we have to learn from that? So if y'all join me in prayer real quick. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for being so merciful and patient with us. Thank you that you're a real God. I thank you for everything that that means. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you for all your promises. And I just pray that today as we gather as your people together, you would help us to see you better, to understand you in a more full way, to understand the reality of the situation that we find ourselves in before you. Thank you for your tenderness, Lord, and I thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. So a lot of us are probably familiar with this story, as I mentioned, if you've grown up around church or been around it for a little while. Maybe even you've just seen pop culture references to the story of Moses and Pharaoh and the bringing of the plagues that God brings upon the nation of Egypt. And so you may wonder, what's God doing right there? (laughs) We hear a lot, you know, the loving, tender parts of God. A lot of times we see pictures of Jesus and he's kind of like playing a ukulele and maybe there's a bunny rabbit on his shoulder. You know, happy Jesus, buddy Jesus, our friend Jesus. And there is a a very real part of God's character that's like that, right? God is the lamb, but we also see that God is the lion. If we really stop and think about what that means, I mean, can you grasp a lion? Have you ever seen a lion? Maybe at the zoo or a video of a lion? Uh, video of a, a tiger attack. I mean, these animals are fierce. To say that somebody is like a lion and to really mean it is a really intense thing to say. So we ask, you know, as we explore this part of God's character, why would God need to be like a lion? 
Why would that be good news to us? Why would that be assuring? And why does God choose to be like a lion here with the Egyptians? Why is God so angry? You'll see God's anger in that video. This is not a happy moment. This is when things get real. I mean, this is a fight between God and man. Why is God so angry? Well, God isn't bringing all of this wrath and rage out among just random, innocent people. We've been in this series, and I'm sure you've picked up by this point. These Egyptian guys, they're bad news. They're pretty tough customers, and they're not very kind people. This is a, a people group that has been genocidal. They've carried out a systematic murder of all the Hebrew boys because they were afraid of them, killing innocent Hebrew boys. But then they've also been oppressive slave drivers. So far, we've seen not only that there was an Egyptian ruthlessly beating an innocent Hebrew, right? When Moses lashed out, he did God's will his way, right? But why did he do that? Because he saw injustice. And it was right for him to be angry about that injustice. So we see one portrait of the Egyptians where they're ruthlessly beating innocent people. We see that they've been genocidal against innocent baby boys. And then we also see later on in this story that they actually make life a lot worse for Hebrew slaves because they're already working from nine to five all day long, laboring to make bricks. And the Hebrews ask to go out into the wilderness to worship God. And that's what sets this whole thing off. They ask to go out into the wilderness to worship God as per their traditions. And the Egyptians get angry. And they say, well, if you have all this free time to go and worship God, it must mean we're not working you hard enough knowing very well exactly how hard they were working the Hebrews and that they were already exhausted. And so to add to the suffering, to add to the brutality of the slavery, they say, right now, we're supplying you with straw, all the materials you need to make bricks. We're going to make things worse on you. We're going to make you gather up all your own straw, except you still have to make the same amount of bricks every day. So they were already breaking their backs, working hard in the Egyptian heat all day long. And not only that, but now they have to gather their own materials. So that's like doubling their work. And the Egyptian response when the Hebrews are having trouble keeping up is to beat them even harder. So can you imagine how God must feel seeing his people being oppressed that way? I mean, imagine if that was your family being treated that way. I mean, put yourself in the shoes of a Hebrew slave. Every day you've been working hard. It's already not fun. Right? You've seen Egyptians ruthlessly beat your friends for no good reason. You've seen them kill your baby boys, maybe your relatives. And now it's even worse. They have to work twice as hard. They know that's unreasonable, but yet they beat us and have no mercy. Can we start to wrap our heads around why, why God's getting angry? It's upsetting. When you see injustice like that happen, doesn't it make you want to lash out? Doesn't it make you want to bring about justice? Doesn't it make you cry out for a hero, for an enforcer to come and set things right? You may have been watching TV at any point in the past several years and seen injustice happening on cable news, right? You see injustice happening in the world. How does it make you feel? It makes you want to set things right. I've had moments where I was just staring at the TV screen and I just got so angry, I, I wanted to go to where the injustice was and fight. It's like, man, I want to put these people down. 
Like, I can't stand that right now in the world, these, these evil people are going around and oppressing innocent people. It's upsetting. Can anybody relate to that? Raise your hand. Seeing injustice in the world, just be like, man, I, I wish I could do something about it. And violently, if need be, right? We long for a savior. We long for a hero. And God's reasoning here with the Egyptians, why is God so angry? Well, I think we can all relate to being angry in the face of that injustice, right? So not only this, but God actually gives the Egyptians an opportunity to comply. This is an interesting thing that I want us to notice. God gives the Egyptians an opportunity to comply because he sends Moses before Pharaoh to ask, will you please let my people go in the wilderness to worship me? So what he's doing right there is he's giving them an opportunity to actually obey the commandment of God, which is to release his people. And I believe in that moment, God is really hoping that they would repent. They could go from being a wicked people, an oppressive, slave-driving, genocidal people, to a people who identify with obedience to God in that moment. But they don't comply. They refuse. Thus, God steps in to deliver justice and to make it clear that he's the one true God. He establishes, you're not gonna play me and you're not gonna play my people. I'm in charge and I'm going to bring about justice. Now, what's Pharaoh's reasoning, you might be thinking? I mean, if you were the victim of all those plagues, don't you think you'd let up? I mean, one of those would be enough to be, for me to be like, okay, I'm backing off. I mean, I'm not a trained fighter or anything. I like to think of myself as, as tough, you know, as every guy probably does. But if there was a UFC fighter that showed up and said, look, you're going to park in a different spot in the parking lot, okay? Or I'm going to hit you. I'd be moving my car, right? It doesn't take a lot to get me to comply. So why is Pharaoh so stubborn and hard-headed in this situation? We're going to get into the details of these plagues. I mean, you saw them. They were rough. They were really rough. Why was this guy so stubborn that he wouldn't relent when faced with such peril? Well, personal gain. And we really see that throughout history. That's the fatal flaw of humanity is that we're oppressive. Every one of us has the heart of an oppressor. Deep within us, there are times when we choose to put ourselves above others. We choose to hurt other people, put our needs before the needs of other people. And for convenience, for personal gain, we hurt others. We all know we've done that at one point or another in our life. And when we walk away from God, we choose to harden our heart, we choose to rebel against him and identify as an enemy of God, that really solidifies. And that just goes on steroids. I mean, that stubbornness amplifies. That willingness to oppress other people just grows. And that's how you see all those senses of injustice on the television. These are people that have chosen to be enemies of God. Their insensitivity, the hardness of their heart grows, and they're more and more willing to hurt other people for their own personal gain. And that's the situation that Pharaoh was in. It says over and over and over again, if you go back and, and read the text, which I hope that you do after we go through this sermon, but Pharaoh's heart was hard is repeated over and over and over again. When he saw that there was relief from a plague, when God pulled back just a little bit, he'd be like, okay, cool, I'm out of the woods, I can go back to doing my own thing. Like God would hit him with the plague and he'd have to back off. He'd say, okay, cool, I'll let the Hebrews go and worship you. 
And then as soon as God let up, he'd go right back into being oppressive. Right back into it. So let's just zoom in and look at some of these plagues, okay? And first, I think a really good summary passage for us to look at comes in Exodus chapter 7. It's verses 16 and 17. I'll read it for you. This is what God says for Moses to tell Pharaoh. And this is going to be the theme of this whole interaction. Tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, let my people go. Why? So that they may worship me. But so far, Pharaoh, you haven't listened. So this is what I say. Here's how you'll know that I'm the Lord. Watch. That's what I'm talking about. Here's how you know that I'm the Lord. Watch. That's a guy that I'm excited to follow. Right? Know that I'm the Lord. Watch. That's why God brings all these plagues. He's going to establish that he's the one true God and he brings justice, which is really good news for us if we're on his side. Isn't that the best possible news that the Hebrews could have heard in that moment? Let's look at the details of how God brings justice. He says, watch, and then he starts doing all this crazy stuff. He turns the Nile River into blood. The Nile River was the heart of Egypt, okay? It was their their source of food, their source of water for this whole civilization. Can you imagine going and turning on the sink and blood coming out? I mean, that would be disturbing, right? This is, here, here we are again, right? Like, if God does that to me, one plague, I'm out. I'm like, okay, God, my bad. Like, I surrender. I'm doing what you tell me to do. There's blood coming out of my sink. Can you imagine every time you try to take a shower, blood coming out? And so it kills all the fish because they ate fish out of the river. So you run low on food. You lose your water source. And on top of that, it stinks. Literally, like, there's a bad odor because all the water in the land turns to blood, Okay. And even when God does this, he says, Pharaoh, you need to listen to me. Pharaoh says, I'm not going to listen to you. God says, okay, then watch. Pharaoh doesn't relent. Number two, God brings an infestation of frogs. We saw that in the video, right? Just these masses of frogs crawling all over people. It says they got all over their houses, got in their kitchens, even got in their pots and pans. They were trying to make bread and they couldn't because there were just frogs all in it. That would freak me out. I get a mice a mouse in my house, that's enough to make me lose sleep, seriously. Like, I, I can't handle mice. But if you told me that frogs were going to be everywhere in my house, in my closet, in my shoes, crawling all over me, crawling over me in my sleep, in my bed, isn't this enough to make you relent, to make you surrender? Not for Pharaoh. Not for Pharaoh. This is what sin turns us into. It turns us into hard, hardened people. Hard, hardened people who have no sense and will foolishly rebel against God even when we're clearly in over our heads. So, Pharaoh's still not relenting after the frogs. God brings a swarm of gnats, biting insects, okay? Same deal, swarms of gnats all over you. We saw that in the video, flies just all over this guy's eyes, okay? Crawling all over you constantly. Who's surrendering now? Then all the livestock drop dead. So then you already lost your fish, now you lost your livestock, And you're probably in economic ruin if you're a farmer. I mean, the effects of COVID were pretty serious on us. And compared to this, COVID sounds like nothing. But God does bring an epidemic after that. 
when Pharaoh's still not willing to let God's people worship him, when Pharaoh still defies God and thinks he has enough power to take him on and win, God says, okay, watch. I'm gonna bring an epidemic of boils. Right, familiar with boils? It's kind of a weird word, but just bumps filled with pus all over your body. And it's said that they even got on people's feet so they couldn't stand up. So you can't stand up. You probably can't get comfortable laying down in bed. They're all over you. This might be a good time to pause and consider, what kind of fight is this? Like, what kind of creature are you fighting that they can make you sick like that? What kind of creature are you fighting that they can choose to swarm you with frogs if they want to? Oh, it's, it's not a person. I mentioned I was afraid of the UFC fighter. <laughs> it's enough to intimidate me, but it's even bigger than that. It's the God of all creation who has power over the world. That's what God is wanting us to see. Next, he brings a massive hailstorm, property damage. Anybody who was out when the hail came died because the hail was so big and it destroyed a lot of their crops. Next, God brings a raid of locusts. And so there's just these swarms of bugs. It says in the scripture that literally it just looked like a black field where the locusts were. You couldn't see any of the plants. It destroyed all their vegetation. And then after that, this one's really crazy. I can't even relate to this. But God brought a trapping darkness against the Egyptians. A trapping darkness. It was a darkness that you could feel. 24-7, there was darkness. They couldn't even see in front of their face. If you lit a lantern, it wasn't bright enough to make any light. The darkness was so thick. I mean, isn't this enough to just make you depressed? Can you imagine experiencing all these things? Now, once you imagine experiencing all these things, imagine still not believing in God (laughs) when he's been telling you every step of the way, okay, this is what I'm going to do to you. And the next day it happens. That's hardcore. I mean, that should give us a healthy fear of God, knowing that he's so powerful that I would never want to go to war against God and have to endure these things. But it should also give us heart. Why? Because for all these plagues, God is protecting his people. See, the plagues aren't affecting God's people. They live in their own neighborhood called Goshen. In the darkness, there's no darkness in Goshen. In Goshen, it's light. Okay? The livestock, well, the Israelites' livestock's still fine, hunky-dory. So if you're God's people, you're in a pretty good situation right now because you just went from like years and years of oppression and hard slave labor into like, oh, wow, like somebody's like sticking up for us now. And like now, like my bad luck has been reversed because whereas before I was the lowest of the low in society, right? I had to work hard all day and I still got beaten and abused. But now everybody else, the people who were abusing me, they're receiving the plagues, but I'm safe. I want you to notice a back and forth pattern between God and Pharaoh. This is the big theme that's key to understanding this. God gives Pharaoh an opportunity to repent, right? He says, let my people go and worship me in the wilderness. Just let my people go and worship me in the wilderness. Comply with me, Pharaoh. Obey me, Pharaoh. Change your ways. Treat my people well. Pharaoh refuses every single time. And it's then God says, watch and delivers a plague. That's the pattern. So God gives Pharaoh an opportunity to repent. Pharaoh refuses, 
God says, okay, well, if you want to go to war, we'll go to war. And so God gives Pharaoh this opportunity to repent more than five times. The first several plagues, God every time is saying, hey, Pharaoh, please, please comply with me, right? He's being very patient, very merciful. And then after that, there comes a point where God just decides to deliver judgment, okay? So if you, if you look in the text, okay, the switch happens. At first, it says Pharaoh chose to harden his own heart the first several times. But then there comes a point where God judges, and it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So at first, God is trying to help everybody in the situation obey him. He's giving everybody in the situation an opportunity to comply, right? Repent, let my people go. This is an opportunity to go from a wicked people to a people that complies with God, a people that is obedient to God. But then, after Pharaoh refuses so many times, God says, okay, if this is what you want, if you want to be somebody who wars against God, if you want to be somebody who doesn't identify with the Lord, well, then that's how it's going to be. And I'm going to use this as an opportunity to show my power and to settle this once and for all so that people don't challenge me anymore and so that my people are taken care of. So moving on a little bit here, we've, we've talked a lot about the story, and that's important, right? It's important to look at the story, but how does this relate back to us? Now we've got all this information about what happened in the scripture, the pattern back and forth between God and Pharaoh, Pharaoh refusing, God saying, all right, if you're going to be mean to my people, watch. How does this relate to us? And so I want us to consider uh, two voices that we might have heard in our life. And so one voice might be, man, why is God so hardcore? Like, you really believe in hell? Like, you really believe, like, God would actually punish people? That seems so insensitive. That seems so intolerant. That seems so harsh. Like, you really believe that? And then the other voice that you might have heard is almost on the other side. And this person might really crave justice. And they might say, I just don't understand why God hasn't already killed all the bad guys. Like, if God is real, then why does he still let people abuse? Why does he still let people oppress if he's real? You see how those two ideas relate to each other, but they're like different sides of the same coin? One is like, man, why is God so hardcore that he would judge? Right? I can, I can relate to thinking that sometimes. But then on the other side, I've also thought, man, why hasn't God already been hardcore and judged? <laughs> it's almost like a balance that we hold, right? And it's hard to understand. How could God be so harsh as to judge? But also, you know, why hasn't God already delivered us from evil? And so I think a couple of thoughts that answer that question. One is this. If God is real, then he must be able to defeat evil. If the God of the Bible is real, right? He created the world. This, this book is a reliable account of God. Then he has to be able to defeat evil. If God is really the most powerful being in the universe, God's not intimidated by us, right? There's no UFC fighter. There's no dictator that can intimidate the Lord. He created everything. All he has to do is open his mouth and mountains move. So of course, we're no competition for him. Does anybody like watching superhero movies? Yeah, they're pretty fun. They're pretty entertaining. 
Well, what kind of superhero would it be if you lost all the time? It'd just be kind of a joke, right? I mean, you go to watch a Superman movie, and by the end of every movie, dude's like lying on the ground down for the count, and then the bad guy wins. Well, he's not really Superman at that point, right? Batman's not that cool if the Joker always puts him down, right? He's only a hero if he's actually able to follow through on enforcing justice. So when we think about God, I don't want us to ask, you know, man, why is God so hardcore? Well, if God is real, he has to be hardcore. He has to be the biggest and the baddest. Otherwise, we're in trouble. Why? Because he can't save us from any of the bad guys. If God is going to deliver us from evil, if he's going to be the savior of the world, he has to be the most hardcore dude out there. And I mean, we see from the plagues, he is. We're no match for him. And the second is that if God is worth following, he can't just be able to defeat the bad guys. He has to want to defeat the bad guys. Now, if we watched a Superman movie and he had all the power, but he just chose to go along with evil, well, he wouldn't be a hero, right? He'd be a villain. So when we're looking at the character of God, he can't just be powerful to be our hero, but he also has to want to defeat the bad guys. Now, if you just turned on a superhero movie and all you saw was Batman just going to town on a villain, you might think like, whoa, like chill, Batman. Like, like this, guy's, this guy's hardcore. Like, why, why is he so been out of shape? Well, I'd say that the same thing might happen if you just opened up the Bible randomly and saw God bringing all these plagues. It might seem like an overreaction. But if you know the context, you know the story, you know that sometimes to enforce justice, we have to go to war against evil. You see, when Batman or Superman, when they bring about punishment for the bad guys, it's not a bad thing. That's the best part of the movie. Why? Because the Joker's not going to terrorize us anymore. See, this is, to me, one of the best parts of Scripture. I mean, the best part is that I, I know that I actually get to be one of God's people. Because <laughs> otherwise, this is all really bad news. But knowing that God is actually tough enough to deal with my problems, to know that God is actually tough enough to be able to handle all the bad guys in the world that I get so sick of, I turn on the TV and it just makes me angry, all the battles that I can't fight, God's capable of fighting them. And not only is he capable, but he wants to fight them. So when you see God coming to enforce judgment, I want us to be excited about that. Because as God's people, that means that evil is being done away with. It means that our oppressors are no longer going to be oppressing us. It means that death is going to be defeated. And you can trust that God will do what he says he's going to do because God really is who he says that he is. This is one of the things that Pharaoh just misses every single time. He just doesn't believe that God really is who he says that he is. Okay, you're going to turn the Nile River to blood? Do it, man. Well, then it happens. Right? God says, watch, I'll do it. You know, God says, I'm going to take out all your livestock. Pharaoh says, ah, I'm not worried about it. The next day he's worried about it. You can trust that God will do what he says he's going to do because he really is who he says that he is. 
Second Peter 3.9 says that God is not slow to keep his promise, to come back and rid the world of evil. How many of y'all, that's your favorite promise in the Bible, that Jesus is going to come back and rid the world of evil? It is for me. God's not slow to keep that promise the way that we would understand it. Remember that question? Why hasn't God already defeated all the evil? Like, if God is real, then why do I have to turn on the TV and see oppression happening all the time? Why do I have to see it in my life, people that I love and care about? If God is real and God wants to defeat evil, why hasn't it happened yet? It says that God is patient. With who? With us. Why is God patient? Because he loves us. And he doesn't want to have to enforce judgment on anyone. It's not like it brings God a bunch of pleasure to step in and and be the sheriff and, and enforce justice. It brings God pleasure that there would be righteousness in the world. It brings God pleasure that people wouldn't get hurt anymore. But God doesn't rejoice in the violence that's required to bring that about. He's patient with us because he doesn't want us to perish. But he wants everyone to repent. You see, when Jesus comes back on the last day to enforce justice, to go to war against evil... He wants to see everybody in this room waiting for him. He wants to see everybody in this room knowing that they are a part of God's people and knowing that they don't have anything to be afraid of. But because God is real, because he is who he says that he is, he is going to have to defeat all the evil in the world. He really is. So that day is coming. We can count on it. I want to cut to a video real quick that I think will help us understand Uh, How many of y'all are Star Wars fans? Yeah, we got some Star Wars fans in the house. So this this scene may be familiar to you. It's a duel between Obi-Wan and Anakin. So sorry to spoil it for you if you haven't seen Star Wars yet. Uh, But to me, this is like the climax of the series. Why? Because it's it's good and evil facing off. Obi-Wan has trained Anakin for years, since he was a little boy, okay? They're like brothers, Obi-Wan's the big brother. And Anakin's always been kind of troubled. He's a super powerful Jedi, but he always like goes back and forth between wanting to be good, wanting to be evil. Wanting to be good, wanting to be evil. And so it's kind of the, the whole story of Star Wars. And here you see Anakin's ultimate decision is to rebel against righteousness and decide with the wicked. Why? Well, like Pharaoh, for his own personal gain, because he thinks he's going to be the ruler. And he gets in his head that this is a wise idea, but we'll see how it plays out. I failed you. I should have known the Jedi were plotting to take over. Anakin, Chancellor Palpatine is evil. From my point of view, the Jedi are evil. Well, then you are lost. I have the high ground. You 
underestimate my power. Don't try it. So that's not a perfect illustration of our relationship with God. It's not a perfect one-for-one of Pharaoh and God. But that really struck me as being so similar for several reasons. One, you can see the love that Obi-Wan has for Anakin. It's a deep love. You can see it on his face. Even when we rebel against God, he still loves us. At one point, Obi-Wan says, you are my brother, Anakin. It's interesting that Jesus calls us brother. Another thing that I think is really interesting is that they're fighting, right? Obi-Wan's the master. He's the better fighter. He probably could end the fight a lot sooner, but he wanted Anakin to turn back. Up until the last moment, Obi-Wan's saying, Anakin, like, like you don't get it. You were the chosen one. You're supposed to defeat evil, not join it. God with us. I love you. I died for you. To save you from evil, not so that you would join it. In the most epic moment to me, Obi-Wan, you know, does the flip off the thing they're fighting on, and he's, he's standing on the hill, and he says, look, it's over. Anakin, it's over. I've got the high ground. Like, don't come at me, because I'm going to have to kill you. And what does Anakin do? What does Pharaoh do after all of these plagues? It's clear, the dude's toast. But his heart is so hardened. He's become so foolish and blind to reason that he can't help but to try to fight against the superior power of righteousness. So what does Obi-Wan do? Chops off his legs and it's over. But he warned him, right? And the whole time he was patient with him, right? It's not like Obi-Wan was in the wrong here. But at the end of the day, we have to enforce justice. And with God and Pharaoh, it's really a similar picture. Can't say he didn't warn him. Can't say that he, he didn't care, that he didn't give him an opportunity. But at the end of the day, evil must be opposed for the good of the world. So we have a God that's a real bona fide hero. 
He is the toughest dude in the room, always. He's not just capable of putting down evil, but he promises he's going to. And we can trust that he's going to follow through with that because he really is who he says that he is. (laughs) I love that. To bring it down to earth a little bit, I mean, this is the situation that all of us face personally with God. Like, have you identified yourself as his? Like when God shows up, are you going to be one of the Israelites? Are you going to be one of the Egyptians? Are you going to be the person that he saves? Are you going to be the evil that he has to save his people from? That's the decision we all get to make. But the thing about it is, we better make it right now. Because when God shows up, notice that the people that were saved from the plagues were the people who lived in Goshen who lived where God's people lived. It's not like Egyptians picked up and moved once the plague started happening. Like, oh crap, like we're getting punished now, like I better get up and move. That wasn't really feasible or possible. But where you were already dwelling, well, when the judgment starts coming, that's where you're at. So when God comes back, there's not gonna be time to be switching up. We have to decide right now. Are we living with God or not? Are we God's people or not? Because sooner or later, we're all going to face an irresistible surrender to God. You will be faced with an irresistible surrender to God. So it's either going to look really happy for you or it's going to look really hard. Right? Like, I know when I meet God, like, I'm already not resisting. Like, I'm already surrendered. So, like, it's going to be really exciting to me because the people that made me so upset on cable news, they're finally going to be given justice they're going to be the ones surrendering finally to righteousness. And that's going to be a really happy day for me, even though it's going to be a really hard and intense day. Right? But what about you? I've met irresistible surrender before in my life from my (laughs) father-in-law. So this is actually a funny story uh, to break, break the seriousness a little bit, but I think it's helpful. Um, Last summer, I wrestled my father-in-law now, this was after I'd already married his daughter. So I was in the clear. I was like, it doesn't matter like, how this goes. Like, I'm safe. He can't take her back now. I've got it in writing. We're good. Um, but if you, if you know a little bit about my father-in-law, you know that he is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Now, like I said, I like to think of myself as, as tough, you know. And, you know, I'm not like a small guy, so I thought... Yeah, I can, I can take Rod. That's his name. His name's Rod. I was like, I, I think I can hold my own. I didn't think I was going to win against a black belt, but I thought I, could, I thought I could do all right. But what I found was when we actually started wrestling, this dude was just like playing a different game than me. Okay? He was pulling moves against me I didn't even know were coming, so I didn't know like how to defend against him because I didn't even know what he was trying to do. I vividly remember at one point, I thought he was trying to choke me. And so like I I had him and he was not choking me. And I felt really good about that. Half a second later, my wrist was about to break. (laughs) And let me tell you, irresistible surrender. When you're in a position where your joint, your wrist or your elbow is just like about to like come apart, like you don't think, you just submit. It's over. That's the situation we're all gonna be in with God. (laughs) 
And it's either going to be a huge celebration uh, it's going to be one of the saddest days of our existence. And the big crux of it, the good news is it's up to us. What do we do with all this information? What do we do with this story? What do we do with all this intensity we see in Scripture? Well, we apply it by making it clear, heck, I'm one of God's people. I'm one of God's people. This is where I've been living. I, I live in Goshen. Right? I've, I've been God's person for a long time. When God shows up, there's no doubt about it. Bianca and I had somebody try and break into our apartment over uh, this past spring. And there were some empty vacant apartments next to ours. And so we... Um, hold, on, hold on one second. I'm, I'm still going to go for a little while. But um, we called the police and the police searched the vacant apartments. Okay, and when they went in, they knocked and they said, more police, if you're in here, make yourself known. Now in that moment, right, like if there was somebody in there, there's no going back, right? Like when those policemen showed up, like if you were in there, there was no being like, oh, I was just on my way to the grocery store, right? There's no like producing a fake ID on the spot. Like, oh, I'm not really like, I'm not really that guy, I'm this guy. Like, like your identity and what you're up to is set the moment that the enforcer of justice arrives. So in our lives right now, today, it's super important. We take God's side. So we do that two ways. We make it clear with our words. Jesus is our God. We profess like, yeah, like I'm a Christian. Like I follow God. What he says, I do. I'm his. The people in our life know that about us. But not just with our words. We also confess it with our actions. Jesus says, you might say that you love me, but I know if you truly love me by what you do. If you really love me, you're going to do what I say. So we confess that we're one of God's people. We identify with him, with our mouth, and with our deeds. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. You're not going to play God. He's not mocked, okay? Whatever a person sows, that's what he's going to reap. Whatever a person plants in the ground, it's what's going to pop up. What it means is, whatever you've been doing, it's what you're going to get in return. So today's the day. Make yourself one of God's people. He's merciful. He's giving us a chance right here in this room. In your heart, just, just tell the Lord, I want to be yours. I'm not trying to play you, God. I've seen in the scripture that clearly doesn't work out. I want to be yours. And he's ready to begin that journey with you. He's ready to begin it. See, our hope is in the God of the Bible being both the lion and the lamb. He is tender. He does forgive us. Our God understands our sensitivities. But he is also the lion. That's not a joke. And to me, that's super exciting because he's the real hero that I actually need. He's capable of defending me. He's capable of defeating evil. And he's willing to go to war against evil. So the question I ask you, whose side are you on? I'm going to close with an excerpt from uh, a Christian rap song uh, by a guy named Trip Lee. And it, it's verse three of his song, War. I can send you a link to it if you really want to listen to the whole thing. But the the song has always been really powerful to me because it describes the war 
at the end of days when Jesus really comes back and he really goes toe-to-toe with evil and finally puts it down. And so I'm going to ask, if y'all would, just, just close your eyes and just go here with me, okay? And just with an attitude of prayer, I'm going to read through this for us. Here's what he says. It really might seem like the war is still going. People are still dying and sin is still potent. The devil's still tempting and evil's not slowing. But just wait until that trumpet starts blowing. Because the general is coming with keys in his hands and death and Hades are gonna freeze where they stand. They'll see they've been defeated because please understand that they don't want to see him because the king is the man. He's a man of war, a beast on the battlefield, obliterating all the evil forces. They will all be killed. So where's your sting, death? Oh, you don't have it. And where's your victory? Oh, you've been swallowed whole. You see, when he's back, there's no fighting Jehovah. He'll toss you in a lake of burning fire and sulfur. He's a titan, a soldier, and he'll wipe away our tears and our fears, and all of our pain and death will be over. In Revelation 21, it says, our hope is this, God dwelling with humanity. God's going to live with us, and we'll be his people. God himself will be with us, and he will be our God and he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Look, God says, I'm making everything new. Lord, we love you so much, and I thank you for making me new. And I pray for everyone in this room that you would make them new if they would just come to you and ask to be your people. God, I pray that when you come to enforce justice, that none of us would be opposing you. And God, I thank you that you give us a hope, that you're a real, genuine hero. Thank you for everything that means. Thank you for being so tender as to understand my problems, so loving as to forgive me, and so strong as to rid the world of evil. You are our hope, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.